Life Audio. Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with Gospel Rant. We're about proclaiming God's love to the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. And that's all of us, a little or a lot, if, if we're just a little honest. Uh, listen, I hope this has helped you in your search for significant security belonging. Let me know, bill at gospel-app.com. Today, we're just going to read the last three movements, movement six, seven, and the epilogue of the novella. Uh, you can just sit back and take your shoes off and relax and listen. Let the Holy Spirit do His thing. Just enjoy. The next time, we're either in Galatians 5 or uh, with the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, or we're in the book of Job. I can't wait for that series. Or... We're looking at women in the Old Testament, uh, overlooked and, and uh, unnoticed, unfortunately, women in the Old Testament. Great, great, great stories. I'm writing a book. If you want to know more about that, Bill at gospel-app.com. Um, so it's going to be in one of those things. But please help us get the word out about this show. We're looking for a thousand followers. And, and, and that's once you, you know, once you kind of get to that level, there's people who are actually seeking to look, listen to the show. And we could change lots of lives, and you're part of that. So please, somehow uh, make that known, that, that you're a follower of this show. Send me an email, bill at gospel-app.com, letting me know how this has affected you, a testimony that I can get out there. Yeah? Check out the other resources on our website, gospel-app.com. If you would like to make a donation, thank you ahead of time. You can do it at the bottom of any page on the website, gospel-app.com. Again, thanks for the testimonies. Keep them coming. Bill at gospel-app.com. We'll put the best on the website, maybe in the upcoming book. So welcome to the novella of the Song of Songs. And look, this is important. Uh, Who knows what God's going to do with this? Uh, And we're going to get into it right after this short word from our sponsors. We will be right back to the novella, movement number six. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Movement 6, chapter 6, 
4 to 7.10, the King's Testimony. His manly voice focused her attention once again on the present. This time, miraculously, no resentment poured from her heart. This time she was the queen, not a street lady. The king looked deep, ever so deep into her soul, and uttered these words, You are overwhelmingly beautiful, my darling. You are more fantastic than the royal city of Terza. No, you're lovelier than even Jerusalem. Those great sights would take the breath away from any sensible spectator, yet they pale in glory to you. Turn your eye from me, they overwhelm me. Your smile is perfect, your lips thin and provocative, your makeup accentuates your glorious natural beauty, your sensuous dark wavy hair is as full and silky as the finest of cashmere anywhere. There are many other queens in the land, but compared to you, they are nothing. There are even more concubines, and they pale in your light. There are virgins everywhere, but none more wonderful to me than you. You are my dove, my perfect one. You're one in a billion. There is no one like you. You are the special one of your family, the favorite. Why, even the other women can see that. They call you the most blessed one, the lucky one. The virgins, the concubines, and queens all bow to you and praise your glory. Well, the countenance of the queen was transformed. This was such a far cry from that pathetic, self-involved waif on the city streets. If there were witnesses, they would see the resemblance between her and the glorious wedding carriage that a short time ago rose from the wilderness in glory. Her countenance shone like the dawn. She was glorious. The combined effulgence of the moon and the heavenlies together were as a mere burning ember in comparison to her resplendence. She was indeed the great queen. In contrast with the last betrayal of heart, this time she chose to act like a true queen, to enter the king's garden vulnerably and intimately as only a pure lover could do. To all who had known her for some time, there was clear external evidence of a deep change. Now, coexisting with the myriad Complex and destructive dysfunctions and insecurities was a genuine, deep-set desire to be one with the king. No matter how exposed it made her, how naked and vulnerable, no matter the risk, let the people see them as a regal, single image, the king and his glorious chariot in the middle of all his people, appropriately together, inseparable, glorious. This time, I will not run to the city. It is nothing for me. I do not belong there anymore. I am the queen of the garden. I choose to go to the garden. I will be one with the king. Let all the people see. All of the stars in the skies and all the heavenlies erupted into a victory song as if the sky was filled with choirs of cantors. Oh, yes, dance, O oh queen. Dance, O oh incarnation of shalom. Dance, yes, dance. In her mind, this dance was for the king, and it didn't matter who else watched. For just a split moment, she flashed back to a time when she did not have such freedom. Then she was ruled by her oppressive insecurities and inhibitions. You know, too intimidated to dance in such a freely personal and provocative manner, too worried what the others would think of her, that the others might laugh or mock her for acting like a provocateur or worse, a cheap prostitute teasing vulgar Johns into a torrid liaison. The king's eyes upon her did not at all make her feel cheap or tawdry. He intently gazed upon her naked body and formed in his mind a wasp, a highly structured poem of romantic adoration, suitable for a great queen, his queen. She shuddered in the wake of 
this magnificent poetic foreplay. I will tell you why all of creation is distracted by you, by your dance. It's obvious. Look, even your feet proclaim you to be royalty. They're so beautiful. Your graceful legs are perfect as if wonderfully chiseled by an expert jeweler. You are a priceless jewel, and you are seeds of myriad blessings. You are the mother of many people. Your womb is like the king's wine cup, always filled with heady wine. Drinking from you makes my head spin. You are anything but an immature child. Your womanhood is in glorious full bloom like this garden around us. As you lie there, I imagine a mound of wheat surrounded by fragrant flowers. Your breasts are perfect twins like gazelles. Your neck is the neck of a great queen. It's tall, sensual, ivory tower. Your eyes are stunning, reflecting light like the pools of Heshbon, refreshing, soothing. The bold features of your face only enhance your stature and beauty. Your countenance reminds me of the magnificent eastern fortresses of Lebanon. Your head perfectly crowns your body as Mount Carmel crowns all of Israel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are. Oh, love, do you have any idea how your many delights please me? You're a palm tree of great rarity. Your fig clusters are in full bloom. I desire to come upon you like an orchard manager climbing upon his favorite ripe palm tree. With all of my being, I want to embrace the abundant fruit that you offer the one who climbs. Let your breast always be full of milk. May you be like an abundant vine that never ceases to bear fruit. Let your kisses always taste like they do right now. I would prefer your kiss to the finest wine in the land. Yes, my lover and king, let my wine wash over your mouth. Drink freely of my vineyard. I am yours, heart, mind, and soul, and body. And I can see and am still amazed that you really desire me as I am, all of me. Is this the same little girl, the tragic dehumanized child who was plucked out of the dirt by the great king? Is this the source of the scandal that rocked the court at the beginning? Is this the hesitant, insecure, self-deprecating child who lay in his arms at the beginning? Is this the broken-hearted one who kept betraying the king's love for the arms of the city? Something has happened to her. Look at her. At least now, for this moment, she is not just any maiden. Look, she is the queen. Look how her shoulders have filled the queen's robe. See how the crown rightly adorns her head. Surely she is a queen, a great queen. The garden is her domain. Like a precious jewel, she rightly reflects the glory of the king. Movement number seven. Chapter seven, verse 11 to eight, four. Come, my beloved. There are times in our lives when maturity is noticeable. We do things or say things that are surprising even to us. This was one of those times for the queen. From her background of dishonor and abuse, she learned to not take risk. The cost of rejection is too high. The victimized heart needs boundaries so clear, so repeatable that all risk is too much. Intimacy is risk. For in intimacy, there can be no boundaries, no walls, no fig leaves to protect from failure, criticism, and shame. Possibly the only thing more risky than intimacy would be the pursuit of intimacy with another person. 
There are too many contingencies, too many variables, too many places to slip and fall, too many places to look foolish and be exposed, and the queen well knew failure. As always, there is the possibility of the other rejecting the invitation. Oh, too awkward at best. The risk was even more exacerbated by the cultural norms of the royal household. It was the common etiquette universally for the king alone to initiate intimacy. I mean, normally the great king would hold out a scepter and give a formal invitation for his queen to come. This invitation was different than the normal use of the word. It normally carries the nuance of volition. However, in this context, it means a royal order. The queen would never turn down the king. That would be risking the loss of her throne. Queens wait for such a call. No queen would ever initiate such a liaison. I mean, theoretically, if the queen was truly a great queen, recognized in social standing and substance as a peer of the king, maybe then it would be allowable. This former waif would never have made such a move. She would have much preferred isolation to rejection. Isolation had served her faithfully. Loneliness and self-loathing are painful but expected. Rejection, never again. Yet the queen, after having drunk deeply five times from the king's draft, was changed. This was the necessary fruit of his love. She was burning with two new flames. The first fire was a burning desire for the kisses of the great lover king. She had come to see and enjoy her covenantal right as the king to be in the arms of her lover. She had also come to believe that the feelings were mutual. Secondly, she was coming to see what the king saw. She was not only a queen, oh no, she was a great queen. Nowhere was it more evident than in the new desire that powerfully beat in her heart. She couldn't shake it, this burgeoning motivation. She not only wanted to be in the intimate, risky embrace of the great lover king, but now she was powerfully motivated to initiate it. She was at the same time frightened and excited about these new feelings. Come, my lover, let's go to the royal garden where we can be alone and intimate. Let's go to our special garden to enjoy the new life there, to smell the wonderful fragrances, to experience the blooming of our intimate union. The air is filled with aromas. All delicacies are right at our disposal New and adventurous tastes along with the old standards, all of which I've kept uniquely for you, my lover. Oh, why do I have to wait to get to the garden? If we were siblings, I could freely kiss you in public and no one would care. Here in the royal court, people are so stuffy and formal. Oh, how I want to be intimate with you now, for you to drink freely of my wine, spiced wine, heady stuff that will make your head spin, for you to eat freely of my fruit until you're satiated. Well, the king laughed at her boldness. This brought him great honor. This was an act of wonderful honor and worship to him. Now he, the great king, was fully enjoying the love of a great queen, suitable for a great king. They fled to the royal gardens where they could be alone and intimate. Lying there once again, she relished the moment. She had learned that shalom was found only in his arms. It has happened again, she thought. I have succumbed to my lover's embrace. I am swept away into his heart. We're united in a lover's embrace. We're one. I am the queen indeed. I can see that I am the beloved. Amazing love. How can it be? Daughters, this love is 
a dangerous, devouring animal not to be taken lightly. Settle for no counterfeit, no substitute to this love. Don't mess with it until it so desires. Epilogue, chapter 8, 5 to 14. Eyes of Shalom. It was so noticeable, it wasn't that long ago, that a frightened little girl was swept up, kicking and screaming into the arms of the great lover king. The kingdom was shocked and scandalized. The king could have had anyone, and he chose her. She remembered how out of place she looked and felt, and she was right. She really wasn't court material. She didn't belong there in its hallowed hall. Everyone but the king could see it. She had enjoyed no etiquette training, no schooling. What she had learned about love was on the flat table of a vineyard hut. She was a foolish child, immature, frightened, and abused. She was the least of all, and yet was swept into the pure and righteous arms of the great king. But now, she really was the mighty queen. All could see that she, alone, was the uniquely appropriate partner of the great lover king himself. All would now agree that it would be hard to imagine another who reflected his glory so. Now, all around her, the people spoke of her in royal, almost apocalyptic terms. She was reminded of the crowd's description of the royal wedding palanquin. That was the image of the prophetic greatness of the king. Now, she was his image. Who is this coming up from the wilderness and joined with the king, her lover? Hmm. She had accepted the highest duty and privilege of being the queen. She was a pure reflection of his glory. She was his glory. For the great queen, it was not enough to be alongside him in his glory. Oh, my lover, it's my heart's desire to please you, to stimulate you at the deepest emotional and physical level. I want to turn you on. Attach me to you privately and publicly. Your love is like nothing else. Before coming to know you, I thought that death was the most powerful thing that I knew. But your love, it's at least as strong as death. Its unending pursuit of its object is its like the unyielding grave. Nobody can escape it. It's an all-consuming fire, the very fire of the heavens. Your love is so powerful that even the waters of chaos that were there in the beginning, the formlessness and void, couldn't stand against it. Your love has defeated the confusing chaos that reigned in my soul. You spoke, let there be, and, and now there is order and life and abundance, and it is truly good. How else can I describe the height and depth of your love? Your love is more powerful than even the great flood. Its flame is unquenchable. It's priceless. Take all of the wealth of all of the land, and still you couldn't buy an ounce of this love. And the queen smiled as she remembered the derogatory way that her brother spoke about her. And maybe they were right, at least then. Today, the scars were powerfully healed over. Only memories remain. Our little sister, she's just a squirt kid. You can see how immature she is, can't you? We really have to watch her, and frankly, we don't trust her. Our job as the watchman on the wall is to make sure that she doesn't do something stupid sexually. If she remains a virgin... Well, we'll reward her on her wedding day. And if she's foolish in that area, we'll have to lock her in a room and throw away the key. But they were dead wrong about her, she thought. She had bought into that identity, hook, line, and sinker. But now she was transformed. 
I am a woman of great worth and sexual value. I am a virgin again. I'm not a child. Look at me. I'm a queen in full bloom. And all of this happened when I finally really looked into the eyes of my lover king and saw my real reflection, how he sees me. I became Shalom. And now I at last really see I'm not only a queen, I am the queen of queens, the great queen, the only suitable partner for the great king. And like him who manages great vineyards, each bringing great returns, I too manage a great and luxurious vineyard, my vineyard, my body. My glory is under my oversight and care. I am for the first time in my life a free woman. No one can take my glory from me anymore, not my brothers, not the daughters of Jerusalem, not even the son. My great king of Shalom, I give it to you, and I will reward those who help me get ready for you. To be sure, it had been a difficult journey from the revelation of the king's love for her, her many struggles and doubts, her self-destructive tendencies, her stumbling. However, the sevenfold pursuit of the great king overcame all of her dysfunctions, amazing, powerful, and transforming love that could incarnate and resurrect such glory and such a discarded husk. This is the greatest of all Pygmalion stories. What could accomplish such a transformation? It is solely the powerful love of the great lover king, specifically for his only bride. It's unequaled and unparalleled, It should never be rejected or trivialized. There is no force like it in the universe. What else can heal such betrayal, disgrace, and ignominy? Only this love. The queen has come to see that this love is for her alone. Oh, my great lover king, attended by so many, let me hear your voice speak to me. You know exactly what I desire to hear, and my answer is yes, always yes. Come away with me so that We can be in the garden alone. My lover, take me freely to your heart's content. Taste and inhale all of me. The garden reprise. The king's garden in Jerusalem today is sadly fallow, overgrown, its boundary usurped by the secular city. It's no longer a place of respite, no longer a place for the lover king and his queen to be alone and intimate. It's a very sad thing to see and to wonder about its past glory. It's Doubly sad because at this time in the history of mankind, there is so much need for the king's garden. There has never been a greater need among the human city for such a place of Edenic honor, vulnerability, and intimacy. There are so many before picture queens of the city of man who are tragically used to being treated with abuse. They run to the streets of the city looking for love and identity in all the wrong places. What else are they to do? Like the queen in our story, they are at best treated indifferently by the watchmen of the walls, often worse. Love on the street is so cheap and temporary. Lovers rarely pursue other lovers, much less betrayers. It's too costly, and hearts are too cynical. Or they remain trapped in the dehumanizing vineyards, finding casual love on the floor of temporary huts. It's time again for the revelation of the king to break into the den of our souls. It's time for the winter rains to end, for the land to break out with flowers and fruit and life. This is no safe place. 
These walls are not our friends. It's time for the royal procession to arise from the wilderness, bringing wonder and rejoicing again into the hearts of the land. It's time for the great lover king to take us to his chambers. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. The end. Well, here is the simple and cluttered gospel one more time. Jesus followers, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple, good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Hey, thanks for all of you who have listened to this series of the Song of Songs. Thank you for those who've sent in testimonies. Oh my gosh, that's so gratifying. Praise God. The gospel is changing people's lives, making them feel God's love for the unlovable. I'm going to post some of them on the website, uh, maybe in the, one of the books. Uh, have you experienced his love for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely? Keep sending them. Bill at gospel-app.com. They're invitations for others to watch and listen. Uh, yeah? Another favor, make sure you follow this podcast. I'm beginning a new series on September 24th. Back in February, I did a three-part podcast series on the love of God for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. It was around Valentine's Day. It was very popular, very well-received. So many of you not only listened to them, but passed them on. Thanks, by the way. So I'm reprising and expanding and clarifying the series, building upon it. I've updated the core three podcasts, Your Brain and Love, Right What Happens in Your Brain, Ancient History of Love, and Silencing of Eros. The last two have to do with uh, the, the ancient Romans' view of love. Those three podcasts alone were designed to help us see more clearly just how confusing the whole topic of love really is today, even within the church. Our view of love looks so much more like the ancient Romans than Paul's. Then uh, we turn, after those three, we turn to look at case studies of just what happens when the unloved, the unlovely, and the unlovables bump into God's love. There's the unlovable Samaritan woman, the rich young ruler, the prostitute. We will likely go to the Old Testament as well. Gomer, that's an amazing study of God's intervention for a sex addict. Oh my goodness. Well, you get the idea. Starting September 24th, it'll go till uh, we begin our Christmas series. This could, I'm telling you, this could really ignite real change in your life, your family, your worship, your prayers, uh, your church, and, and hey, look, maybe even the country. All right. Oh my goodness, you'd be surprised about how many people, uh, random people would take a chance and listen to the Gospel Rant for 30 minutes. Could change lives. Send me comments. I'll post the best on my website, bill at gospel-app.com. Thanks to Life Audio for their support. And as always, take heart, child of God. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through 
prayer, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.